Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 153. Today is November 18th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, I've been away from the microphone for a little bit. I've been on the road traveling. I do want to squeeze in two topics into this episode. It's been a while since we've talked about the market, so I want to give you a brief market review. And then I'd like to discuss with you some likely scams, things that you'll hear on radio commercials and radio infomercials. I've received some questions from those of you in the audience about this. And then in my travels over the past week, I've had a chance to hear some of this you know, absolutely abysmal radio programming. And so I'll wrap up today's episode by talking about that. But first, let's start off with a market update. If you're paying attention at all, you've seen that this market is not only volatile, but it's also very resilient. Pull out a bar chart of one of the major indexes and look at the daily volatility or the intraday trade from where the market opens in the morning to where it closes in the afternoon and then the high and the low of each day. You'll see for the last two weeks, the market has been, I'd say, probably twice as volatile as normal. And that's saying a lot because for the entire year, this market has been locked into a very much range-bound but at the same time, extremely volatile market. Earlier in the year, constantly moving up and down with a baseline of around 2,000 on the S&P 500. And then after uh, the middle of August, that baseline dropped down quite a bit. And we were range bound and seesawing back and forth, up and down, above and below, about 1,900 on the S&P 500. I expected us to stay there for a while. We have moved up considerably over the last seven weeks. But the market is holding true to its range-bound pattern, and it's not as high as it was earlier in the year, but it is definitely up off of those lows that we saw in August and September. So right now, the market's hovering around its 200-day moving average, which is right around 2065 on the S&P 500. Today, it bounced up to break above that 200-day moving average. It was a very stellar performance today, but you have to take all this with a grain of salt because the previous five trading sessions were all characterized by negative reversals, and so this one day does not a rally make. But this is a resilient market. You've heard me say many times that I wouldn't be surprised for this market to close out at the end of the year, around 2130 or maybe even as high as 2150. That all said and done, though, that's only about a 5 or a 6% increase from where we started at the beginning of the year. So from a risk mitigation standpoint, I haven't thought that that gain of 5% or so was worth the downside of, a, of an aging, maturing bull market that's, that's getting long in the tooth and has gone on for over six years now, the third longest in history. There's a lot of undertow and turbulence that could bring this market down 15 to 20%. And so that 5% upside didn't seem very appealing to me when I felt that the ice might be getting thin and we could see the market pull back 15 to 20%. What we saw about that 10% pullback in August, I don't think it was deep enough or broad enough. As I mentioned, I am surprised that it snapped back as quick as it has, but I don't think we're over yet. Right now, this market is hitting and firing on all cylinders, but I see some problems with what's going on because a lot of these trends that are happening are actually they're counter trends. And if some of the, the areas that are showing strength, if that persists, then by their very nature, 
they're going to bring down other areas of the market. And that's what I want to talk to you about in this episode. For example, with the terrorism and the problems we're seeing in, in specifically in France and then generally in Europe, that's helping support some of the uh, defense sector stocks and the aerospace stocks. So they've come up in the past few trading sessions, as you would expect, whenever they start saber rattling and there's a threat of military strikes or any type of problems, those military defense aerospace type stocks and things in that sector tend to go up. So we are seeing those sectors move up. We're also seeing some movement in the energy sector. Once again, I think that that's because of problems in the Middle East. And although Syria isn't in the heart of the oil production in the Middle East, anytime you have problems there, it's expected, it's very formulaic that you're going to have an increase in oil prices. And so that favors the energy sector stocks. So we're seeing them move up as well. I'm going to come back and talk about how we're not seeing a corresponding uptrend in the price of oil, which, again, is one of these counter trends that, that worries me, but we'll get to that in a minute. We're also seeing a pullback in the euro, again, because of the problems that are occurring in France and in Germany and, and with the not only terrorism, but with the large influx of refugees that are going to have to be absorbed into the European Union. That's going to create a drag on their economy, so that's consequently hurting the euro which means that the dollar is going up. With that rising dollar, we're seeing optimism on sectors that are favored by a strong dollar. We're also seeing that the financial stocks and the banking sectors, the insurance sector, all of them starting to appreciate because now Wall Street is pretty much uh, turned 180 degrees. And although six weeks ago they thought that the Federal Reserve wouldn't raise interest rates this year, now it's something like better than 80% of analysts believe that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates 25 basis points in, in uh, December, just in the next few weeks. So that's helping support the financial and the insurance sector. At the same time, the housing sector seems to be holding its own, so many of the builders are doing well. Stores like Home Depot are, are reporting strong traffic and, and increased revenue. And then even some of the sectors that have been hurt and you would expect to have uh, start to recover because they got oversold, things like healthcare and biotech, they're starting to recover. And so all of that is boosting up the broad market, the S&P 500 in particular, and then we have seen some of the major players in technology, you know, consistently doing well all year, like Amazon, Google, Facebook. With this week's upgrade from Goldman Sachs on Apple stock, Apple is back performing maybe a little bit better. So that's also helped lifting up the technology and the NASDAQ side of the index. So you have all these good things going on. As I say, all cylinders in the engine are firing. The problem is many of these sectors are inversely correlated or what you would call a counter trend from each other. For example, if the dollar remains strong, then that's going to continue to hurt U.S. exporters and U.S. multinationals. You've heard these large multinational companies over the entire year talk about how the stronger dollar is affecting their bottom line when they do currency exchanges with their operations overseas. So these multinationals that have come up in the recent weeks you would think would have to go back down since we're seeing the dollar now at a seven-month high and is broken out from what I've been tracking as about a six-month con consolidation period. And we're about to see a golden cross on the U.S. dollar 
where the 50-day moving average will be uh, breaking out and moving up above the 200-day moving average as long as the, the currency stays strong with the U.S. dollar. That should happen in the next you know few days to few weeks. So a strong dollar is not good for the multinationals and the exporters. As I mentioned, the energy sector seems to be going up. I think some of that is getting the lift from problems in the Middle East, obviously concerned with oil. But at the same time, crude oil prices are barely budging. As I record this podcast, West Texas Intermediate is trading for right around $41 a barrel. It's only been lower than that in late summer when we had the market meltdown on August 24th and 25th. So despite the problems that we're seeing with the Middle East, we're still seeing oil prices substantially lower than where you would expect them to be. So again, with oil prices being low, I can't see how the energy sector can be showing improvement. Oil right now is down in every aspect. Its current price is below the five-day moving average. The five-day is below the 10-day moving average. The 10-day moving average is below the 50. The 50 is below the 100, and the 100 is below the 200-day moving average. When it comes to oil prices right now, we are in a classic area where you have to say, well, it has to bottom out because it's below all its moving averages. So yes, it either does have to consolidate and start moving up, or it can continue to move down. We've seen commodities continually having lower highs and lower lows since 2011. So right now, I'm in the camp believing that oil will continue to drop. I think that we're going to have an oil glut here for some time into the future. Again, I always throw out that caveat, unless there's a major oil disruption, some type of problems in the Middle East something that would disrupt the free flow of oil. But for right now, if all the production stays in place, if Iraq keeps producing, if Iran brings their oil back on the market, if OPEC continues to pump the way they have been all year, then I believe we're going to see oil prices stay well below $50 a barrel. I think that's really the upper ceiling. I wouldn't be surprised to see oil flirting back somewhere down in the 30s. And some real abrupt drops during, you know, some type of market turbulence. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see oil very briefly to get back down in that, you know, $28 a barrel range, something like that. I don't think it's going to stay there, but I think it's very unlikely that oil is going to be breaking out above $50 a barrel in the near future and to stay and to stay above that level. There's just too much going on with what I've already explained to you with the shale oil revolution, how there's a great number of wells that are profitable at that $20 a barrel range, and then the other 50% of those wells be, start becoming profitable when you get above $50 a barrel, and that pipe is already in the ground, and so it's just like an on-off valve. As that price of oil continues to go above $50 a barrel, more wells will come back online, and that will bring the price back down. So for us to see $75 a barrel oil without some type of major conflict in the Middle East, I think is unlikely for some time into the future. So that doesn't bode well for energy stocks. I think we need to see a pullback there. Now, some of the transportation stocks have recently started to do better as well. I think a lot of that had to do with uh, the administration, again, reiterating that they're canceling or they're not going to allow the Keystone Pipeline. That means that more oil will have to be hauled via truck and also on the railroads. But there's been a lot of capacity built into the rail lines. 
And since there's a whole lot less coal being shipped via rail, and that doesn't look like that's a market that's going to pick up any time, time soon because of not only um, government regulations, EPA-type regulations, but also because the bottom has totally fallen out on natural gas prices. We're seeing natural gas at just barely above $2 per million BTU. That's a price that takes us back to you know the, the mid-1990s uh, since we've seen prices that low. That's really discouraging the use of coal. And since natural gas is shipped via pipeline, you don't need all that railroad traffic. So again, I, I think it's going to be hard for the railroads to, to sustain the high level that their stock prices are currently at. The airline stocks are likely to get hit if problems do pick up in Europe with terrorism. Now, that obviously won't affect the U.S. domestic airlines, the things like JetBlue, Southwest Airlines, or maybe even like Alaska Airlines but certainly Delta, American Airlines, and then, of course, all the international carriers. They will definitely take a hit to their bottom line if we see tensions increasing with terrorism in Europe. So that's a counter trend. And then even these aerospace and defense and military-type companies that have done well in the last four or five trading sessions, well, I think a lot of that is a knee-jerk reaction. This battle with ISIS most likely won't escalate to the le levels that we saw when we were fighting directly in Iraq and in Afghanistan. And so these are going to be very small surgical type military hits. I mean, we're going into an election year. It's hard to believe that the powers that be are going to let an all-out war break out that would really justify the higher prices that we're seeing in these aerospace and defense stocks. And so I expect that sector to get exhausted and, and again, just a knee-jerk reaction. People will see that they're paying too high of a premium or too high of a valuation for companies like Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman. These stocks have all jumped up, you know, five or more percent just in the past few trading sessions. I don't think that's sustainable. You have to remember, too, that although the media has been hyping up this market and, and talking about how we're back into a bull market, the correction's all over. Remember, year to date, and you know we're in the 11th month, we're in fact halfway through the 11th month of the year, so we only have about 40 days left in the year. And right now, the S&P 500 is up barely 1%. Now, the NASDAQ's done a little bit better than that, but again, a lot of that is just focused on a handful of stocks. Google, Facebook, and Amazon, while at the same time, many of the other technology and social media darlings have fallen apart. But I think is what is really telling is when we look over at the small cap stocks, we're told that we're at a 5% unemployment rate and that the underlying economy is strengthening and is very strong. That would cause you to believe that small companies are doing well. But when you look at the Russell 2000, which measures the small cap sector stocks, that has been underperforming the general market, where you have the S&P 500 breaking out above its 200-day moving average. The small cap stocks, the Russell 2000, they're struggling to get above their 50-day moving average, and they're probably a good uh, close to 4% below their 200-day moving average. So they've got quite a way to catch up to get to where the other major indexes are, Again, I think that's a counterintuitive trend. I think if the overall market was headed to make new highs to go out and break above that 2130 level on the S&P 500, I, I think if that was the case, you would see better performance from the small cap stocks on the Russell 2000. So keep your eye on those small cap stocks. Two more areas of the general market I want to comment on, and that's the price of the U.S. dollar and the price of gold. 
Now, I did briefly mention that the dollar was doing well. It's broken out of its uh, six-month consolidation period that it was in. In another half a percent or so move, we'll most likely see the 50-day moving average uh, of the U.S. dollar crossing above its 200-day moving average. That's what's known as a golden cross. That's a good sign. Generally underlies an upward trend is in place. The dollar's only about 2% or so from the high that it had made earlier this year back around uh, March time frame. Now, I have no way of knowing if it's going to break through that level, but with the trajectory it's on right now, with the problems that we're seeing in Europe, with the fact that Japan is in recession, with the general slowdown in the economy, uh, the global economy, I think even if the Federal Reserve doesn't raise interest rates, that the dollar is still likely to get back to those levels that we saw earlier in March when they thought the Fed would raise rates then. So like I say, that's at least another 2% move for the dollar. I think between now and next year, so sometime into 2016, the dollar will continue its uptrend and we can see a 5 to 10% appreciation from where it is right now. Now remember, the bad news is good news whenever the dollar is strong. It does hurt certain sectors of the economy. It's going to hurt the multinationals. It's going to hurt that 15 or so percent of American companies that are exporters. It's going to hurt growth in the emerging markets because they have a lot of debt that's priced in U.S. dollars. And every time the dollar goes up, it makes their debt payments be increased. So again, this is another counter trend where I see the strength in the dollar means weakness in other areas. And finally, that brings me back to gold. Now, what I find most amazing about what has happened, not only over the past week or so when we saw problems in France with terrorism, but even going back to August 24th and 25th when we saw the flash crash occurring in the U.S. markets, what we're seeing from the price volume action on gold is that it's not performing as well as some people would expect. Now, I've been watching gold in a long-term decline. I've constantly been saying that as long as the price of, of a barrel of oil is below $50 a barrel, that you're going to be hard-pressed, get much up above $1,100. And in fact, I wouldn't be surprised to see it drop significantly more. But people continue to have faith in gold. And those that have come in to buy it on the dips have been disappointed because even when the market fell apart and then recovered, you know, from August to October, with all the volatility in the market, we, we never even saw gold break up above $1,200 an ounce. And now right now, it's back down to its lows. Gold is lower now than it was during the flash crash in August. And I think that it's likely to go lower because of this general slump that we have in all commodity prices agriculture, building products, all the natural resources. As long as oil stays low, it's hard for me to see a scenario where these general commodity prices, and you have to remember that gold and silver are commodities. They have monetary value. They have trade value. But at the same time, they're minerals that are mined out of the earth. That component of their nature trades just like a commodity. With gold, we're seeing, as we are with the other commodities, lower highs and lower lows. And I believe that's a reflection on the overall U.S. economy. And so despite what the talking heads are saying on the cable news and financial channels, I think that gold and these lower commodity prices are not only symbolic of the, the international or the global slowdown, I think that's got to come home to the United States as well. And so right now, while the market is looking very resilient, looking very strong at trading around 2080 on the S&P 500, 
I expect we'll see some cracks and some fissures, and these counter-trend areas will start to break down. I don't know if we'll have to wait and see whether the Federal Reserve does or doesn't raise interest rates or what the next shoe is to drop, if there's more problems in France or in Germany with terrorism. I don't know what the problem will be, but right now we're in a very jury-rigged market, and I doubt that we're going to have that Santa Claus rally that many people are counting on. Remember, in this podcast, I never offer advice or recommendations. I'm just passing on to you what my positions are, what my thoughts are. I like to say that I'm talking out loud. Take my commentary for what it's worth. It's just words. Now, with the time remaining we have in this episode, I want to switch gears and I want to address some of the listener questions that I've received about scams or perceived scams. I hear from a lot of you that say that, you know, you receive this email or some type of other advertisement about a real estate course that you can take or some type of a stock investing seminar or something about trading the Forex or trading in options. A lot of times they'll rope you in with a free seminar and then they want you to come back for the $500 course and then the $5,000 course. And then, of course, there's like a $10,000 course on top of that. People have asked me, hey, are these scams? Do they really work? I can't speak to everything that's out there, but let me tell you this. When it comes to spending John Pugliano's money, and in the 30-plus years that I've been investing, I've never once bought any of those courses or put any of my money in any of those programs. Now, am I telling you that they're all scams? No, I'm not going to say that. I don't want to get sued for defamation. I'm just saying that when it comes to my opinion on these things, you know, I'll not only give you my opinion, but I'll tell you my position. And the position I've taken is I've never bought into any of these things. Think about how these programs work. You'll go hear some speaker talk. They'll tell you about how smart they are, about how they can teach you how to invest. And again, it doesn't matter whether it's real estate or Forex or options, all this amazing trading that they seem to know all the secrets about. They're going to teach you how to do it. And the people that they're appealing to They make it a point to say that, hey, it doesn't matter if you don't have any money, you can put it on your credit card. Now, think about this. If these people are such great traders, whether it's in real estate or whether it's in the stock market or in options or in currency trading, why do they have to travel all around the country putting on these seminars or hitting you up on late night TV commercials or infomercials or on the radio or through email marketing, you know, however they're getting to you? Why are they spending all their time and effort trying to get broke people to pay for these courses with their credit card? They're attracting people that are broke because, in my opinion, these things are schemes. If they really worked, they wouldn't have to go out and appeal to people that are financially ignorant and people that are broke and people that are living to paycheck to paycheck. Those are the people that are most vulnerable to these gimmicks and scams, and those are the people that they go after. They go after those people, and they go after the elderly. So what does that tell you about the validity of their training program? Well, that's why I never put my money into those things. I'm not telling you how to think, but you can draw your own conclusions on this. I mention this not only because of all the questions I've got from listeners, but also during the past week, I did some driving. I had a lot of windshield time, and I was listening to a normal broadcast terrestrial radio. It's something that I haven't listened to in a long, long time. I used to do things like that when I was, uh, you know, a cross-the-road sales guy, you know, driving from Minneapolis to Des Moines or something, and I'd have to listen to AM radio because this is in the days before there were iPods and podcasts, and you just didn't have any other options. Well, I think the radio was bad then, but it's deteriorated even worse now. I'll tell you, 
this is this is what really amazes me about how there's even an audience for this stuff. Now, for those of you that haven't been listening to terrestrial broadcast radio, let me give you one example of how bad it actually is. I heard several stations, they were rebroadcasting Art Bell shows from when Bill Clinton was president. For a minute there, I thought I went through some type of a time warp or something. And I actually listened through the whole episode of the, of the uh, program from, you know, the top of the hour to the bottom of the hour because I wanted to hear if they interjected and said, you know, this is a best of show from a decade ago or something like that or it was a special anniversary program. No, they were literally just rebroadcasting Art Bell from sometime in the 1990s. And you know what? The stuff that I heard Art talking about Things like shape-shifting lizard alien people, well, that made more sense than just about anything else I heard on the radio. The general news that you get, the financial information, the political talk, just listen to the advertisements and the things that they're trying to pitch you. They really think that you're ignorant and stupid. Much of what goes on as informational is nothing more than a paid commercial. I mean, they are blatant paid commercials. And as I drove a lot of windshield time this, this past week and I drove from state to state, I'd hear a lot of local shows that were basically people that were regurgitating the same information. And it was like, you know, a guy in Kansas was pitching the exact same thing that a different guy was pitching in Oklahoma. They were reading off the same sheet. They were trying to sell you the same scam type investment. They just called it something different. And it was being pitched to the, to the listener as a radio program or informational show when it was really nothing more than a paid for infomercial. Don't fall for that stuff. Now again, I'm not going to tell you that everything out there is a scam. I can't comment on that. I can't give you specifics, but be very skeptical when someone's trying to sell you something over the radio. You should always be skeptical when they start talking about guaranteed returns and that you can't lose any money and that they're going to teach you the secrets that the ultra rich and that the billionaires know. When someone's trying to pitch you something and one of their sales hooks is the fact that they're going to help you learn something that the ultra rich do, you have to remember you're not the ultra rich. Even if they could teach you some of the things that Warren Buffett uses to avoid paying taxes or to help his overall investment portfolio, those are not things that you can implement because you don't have billions of dollars like Warren Buffett. You're not politically connected like Warren Buffett. Most of the people that are listening to those type radio shows are broke living paycheck to paycheck, and so it's almost certain that none of these scams are going to work for them. The only likely outcome is that they're going to be separated from their money. So again, I just encourage you, use your own judgment, use your own wisdom. If something sounds too good to be true, it most likely is. If someone is guaranteeing you a 7 or an 8% guaranteed return on your money, well, look at the 10-year treasury. If the federal government is requiring you to tie your money up for 10 years and they'll only pay you about 2%, then how can this person on the radio have a system that's going to guarantee a return to you of 7 or 8%? Well, I don't believe it can happen. And again, I haven't studied every scheme that's out there, but over the last 30-plus years, every one that I looked at had underlying flaws. If you read the small print, you'll realize that those guarantees just don't hold up. They may guarantee you that you won't lose any principal, for example. That's something I like to tout, but read the small print. 
they'll tell you that only your principal was guaranteed not any of your gains so for example even if you made a gain this year that gain could be more than wiped out next year and while they tell you your principal was guaranteed for example a lot of these products are annuity based or some variation of some type of an insurance product and you invest ten thousand dollars and you have to have that tied up for a ten-year period and they guarantee you that your principal will be returned read the small print it'll say your principal less fees and those fees can become exorbitant it can be based on the amount they trade or fees can get kicked in depending upon market volatility or whether or not you need to access the money if they're surrender fees this is not something that you just want to willy-nilly invest in because somebody on the radio is telling you that it's safe and it's a sure thing and there's no way you can lose. Again, I don't want to get sued for defamation, so I'm not saying these are all scams or gimmicks, but what I'm saying is, is in my 30 plus years of investing, I've never bought into one of these things. Because when I read the small print, I find out that it's not right for me. I think if you take the time to read the small print, you'll find that it's not right for you either. Remember the old parable, a fool and his money are soon separated. Don't be the fool. You work hard for your money. Hold on to it. Well, hey, that'll wrap up today's episode. Watch these markets. Watch what's going on with the small cap stocks on the Russell 2000. Pay particular attention to what's happening with the price of gold and with the strength of the U.S. dollar. And by all means, don't get fooled or scammed by these hucksters on the radio and on late night TV. Until our next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.